and we are pleased to welcome Houston Tucker, the church plant resident at the Vine Church, and he will be preaching from the book of Philippians, and we're going to be reading Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment, imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in, either w in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Guys, there we go. Yeah, I'm not even any louder, am I? You can all hear me just fine. Uh, <clears throat> I used to get in trouble for speaking loudly growing up, if you can't tell. And I found the profession that actually encourages that. Uh, okay, so yes, I'm Houston, not Nate. Um, easy to confuse. That was the first joke. And I'm guessing you didn't laugh at it because you couldn't hear me in the microphone, but it's okay. It's great. Uh, number two, yeah, we're in Philippians today, uh, not Nehemiah. Taking a little break. Uh, Nate's not feeling well. I'm pinch hitting. And so I'm going to talk to you about Philippians 1, 12 through 18. And you know, uh, I, I listened last week to, to Nate's sermon, uh, Nehemiah, and it was this incredible uh, picture of, of self-sacrifice, or, or really choosing selfishness versus the good of others, that kind of thing. I saw that the, the people in the book of Nehemiah were choosing selfish gain over the good of those around them. And, and what I think is really interesting is that this passage that I'm preaching from today in Philippians almost takes this idea and turns it to 11. It takes it way past this idea of selfish gain at the expense of others, all the way to this idea of self-sacrifice for the good of others, self-sacrifice for the good of the kingdom, for the gospel. And it's a wild, wild idea. And just spoiler alert, you heard it. This is a wild passage. It's not wild in the sense that, like, you know, people are coming back from the dead and people are flying, all that kind of stuff. It's wild in the sense that a human being said the words that Paul said in this passage. But what I believe is that there is a real glimpse of life here for us as Christians, a real glimpse of what it means to live the life that the Lord wants for us. And so what I want to do real quick before we jump in at all is I'm going to tell you what happened before this in the book of Philippians. So Paul opens the letter. You'll notice this is verse 12 through 18 of the first chapter, so we're very early on in the book. And Paul opens the book with a greeting. You know, a lot of the, you guys were in Romans before, you remember the, the greeting that opens up the book? And then a, a prayer, which is very common for Paul, very common way for Christians to write letters in the first century. And in this part of the, the first part of the letter, Paul talks at length about how much he loves this church in Philippi. He adores these people. I, they're, they're probably his favorites. A lot of scholars think that the Philippian church was Paul's favorite group of Christians in the whole world. And he talks at length about how he loves and adores them and, and how supportive they have been to him. 
He talks about how he considers them genuine partners with him in the gospel. And now when you consider some other books, you see that maybe Paul thinks of some churches as more work than others. Uh, not us, of course. Uh, but the Philippian church, they were a blessing to him. They, they were the church that came alongside him, supported him financially, loved on him, sent him supplies, supported the church in Jerusalem. They're a wonderful church. And right before this passage that we are at today, Paul has this prayer for the church. And what he prays for them is that they could grow in their knowledge and discernment and that their love would abound more and more. So, so he's just saying, like, you guys are so great. I wish for more of that for you. I love you so much, and you loved me so well. I wish for more of that for you. I pray for more of that for you. It's just this beautiful picture of Paul appreciating and loving the Philippian church. And then our passage today starts with this. Verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And sometimes it seems to me like maybe Paul is burying the lead a little bit here. He's saying, I love you guys. I appreciate you so much. Hey, I'm in prison, and you're doing so great. And it's like, well, okay, let's hang on there a second, Paul. What was that last part you just said? Oh, you guys are doing great. No, before that, yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he says, it's, it's I love that he says, uh, you know, it's, it's really for your sake that this has happened, or for the sake of the gospel, it's good that this has happened. And I always think that this, this sounds like, you know, when people do something that they, they regret, but then they kind of explain it away afterwards, like, oh, it was a good idea, and I'm glad I did it. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that we painted our house mustard yellow. It is so visible from the street. Or it's like, you know, they buy a car, it's like, oh, I'm so glad we upgraded to the, uh, the extra $1,000 for that model, four extra cup holders, what would we do without them? Or if you're like me, you say something like, I'm so glad that I subscribe to every single streaming service that possibly exists. Because then I can watch anything I want. And then we only watch Netflix and YouTube every night. And that's what it feels like to me here. I don't know if it feels like that to you. But, but I think, Paul, how in the world are you going to say that it's a good thing that you're in prison? Prison is bad. Okay, usually you don't have to convince people of that. But it turns out Paul doesn't see it that way. See, for Paul, what might seem like someone trying to justify themselves after the fact, or maybe just delusion, it turns out that Paul has a very different perspective. Paul has a different perspective on what's happening to him, and it is wild. It's not normal. See, Paul genuinely thinks that what's happening to him is a good thing. Not only that, he is happy about it. I mean, that, I mean that's got to be the sign that Paul's lost it, right? He's rejoicing. It's like he's throwing a party in prison. It's like he sent the Philippian church one of those postcards, like a wish you were here postcard. But instead of him on the beach 
It's like him in a prison cell saying, you got to check this out. And it's a good thing because Paul is looking at things from a different perspective. And from this different perspective, what we see is that Paul has a different set of priorities. And so that's what we're going to see today in this text. We're going to jump in and we're going to try to figure out how in the world does Paul get to this place where he says that it is good that what's happening to him. And what we're going to see while we're digging in is we're going to see three things. First of all, we're going to see Paul's perspective. Second, we're going to see Paul's priorities. And third, we're going to see the source of Paul's power. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks to us 2,000 years later. I thank you that you still speak to us 2,000 years later through it. I pray, Lord, that as we just try to sit under the teaching of your word today, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our eyes to see what you have for us, Lord. And as we wrestle with a difficult passage and a difficult picture of, of what it means to be a Christian, I, I pray that you would give us strength by your Spirit to internalize the words uh, of your Word. And Lord, I just pray that uh, ultimately in all this that you would be glorified. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to see today is Paul's perspective. So like I said earlier, from Paul's perspective, it's a genuinely good thing that he's in prison right now. And in fact, that it should be considered a win for the church. And so why is that? Well, Paul is going to give us the reasons why in verses 12 through 14. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, from Paul's perspective, being put in prison is a good thing for two reasons. First thing, we see everyone in the imperial guard knows what Paul is in prison for. And two that his imprisonment is making the believers around him become more bold. So here's why Paul thinks that's a win. First, because everyone knows that Paul is in prison because of Jesus. See, for Paul, being put in prison because of Jesus is a good thing. And it's a good thing because Paul is starting to get associated more closely with Jesus. In a sense, he's becoming aligned with Jesus in a special way. See, Paul recognizes that being imprisoned because he's preaching the gospel means that he is being united to Jesus. And why is that? Well, there's a theme in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, where we see that because Jesus suffered and was treated unfairly, that we who follow him are likely to suffer and be treated unfairly as well. And then because of that treatment, we're going to be brought closer to him as we're experiencing what he experienced. In fact, Jesus promises 
that the world is going to treat us the same way that it treated him. In John 15, 18, it says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know, he goes on in this passage, he goes on to say, the world is going to treat you the way it treated me. Some loved Jesus, and they're going to love us. Some hated Jesus, and they're going to hate us too. The idea is that when we follow Jesus, more often than not, people are going to respond to us the way that they would respond to him. And so for Paul, on one level, this is good news. He's being imprisoned because of preaching about Jesus, just like Jesus was arrested for preaching about himself. From him, it's like it's a sign that he's on the right track. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of a wild idea to me today. Like, if right now, if the police break down the doors, and they storm the stage, and they arrest me for preaching the gospel, I don't think my first inclination is, yes, it's happening. I think I'm freaking out. I mean, I, I hope that, like, if it were to happen, I would have the, the grace and the composure to, to remember this and, and, and say, thank you, Lord, for, for letting me suffer with, with Jesus, but I'd be freaking out. But I think that's probably not what we would experience today, is it? I think realistically, in Madison, Wisconsin, in Fitchburg, Wisconsin, near 2022, this is not how we see people interact with the gospel. See, I think more often than not, people don't get angry at the gospel. They get angry at some other parts in the Bible, right? There are surely things that make people upset in the Bible, but so far, the gospel is not illegal to preach. No, what I guess is that now what most of us experience is not people lashing out in anger because of the gospel, but indifference to the gospel. See, the culture around us has not worked up because of the gospel. It couldn't care less. I think people are apathetic to the gospel in our culture. They, they don't see how it has any bearing on their lives. They don't see how the truth of the gospel means anything to them. And so ultimately, I, I think that if we're following Jesus, I think what we're going to see in our culture here right now is not really violence or imprisonment. It's It's indifference. You know, imagine if Paul was writing this letter today to us here, I think maybe he might say some different things. <clears throat> he might say something like, I, I want you to know that what's happening to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, everyone on my block knows that I follow Jesus. And sure, they think I'm weird, but they know that I love him. Or, or I think maybe he'd say something like, you know, everyone in my office knows that I follow Jesus, and yeah, they avoid me because they think I'm too religious. But man, last week Sharon's dad died, and I got to sit and pray with her and share the gospel with her. 
See, where Paul faced imprisonment and persecution, right now, us, we don't face that. Now, elsewhere in the world, that's absolutely what they're facing. There are parts of the world where it's illegal to preach the gospel. They are being imprisoned. They are being persecuted. But that's not quite what we get. We get the indifference. So the question is, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do when we finally work up the courage to share the gospel with our friend, and all we get in response is, uh, cool, all right, good for you. See, the same questions that Paul is asked here are asked of us. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be associated with Jesus if it costs us? And again, for most of us, it doesn't cost us our jobs, our homes, or, or even our lives. But that, that rejection is painful still. That's a real thing to experience. The question is, are we willing to experience that? And for Paul, he was willing. And in fact, he delighted that it was happening. He rejoiced in his imprisonment because it meant that he had the honor of suffering for Jesus, the Lord that suffered for him. Paul considered it a special honor to be in this position. And a big part of the joy that comes to Paul here is that the others around him are being inspired to do the same thing. So you remember from verse 14, Paul said that the other brothers are starting, starting to preach the gospel and starting to become more bold about it. And Paul is ecstatic about this. He is pumped. See, for Paul, all the joy that he's experiencing in becoming more like Jesus is being compounded because he sees other people doing the same thing. They're becoming, the, they're becoming bold, speaking the word without fear. And man, why shouldn't they? They're starting to catch on to Paul's perspective. They see Paul rejoicing in prison for suffering. And at first, like me, they said, this guy is nuts. But then they, they hear him talk about Jesus and the gospel. And they start to realize what Paul had realized that, man, those people can only do so much to them. And that following Jesus is so worth that. And I think that if Paul were writing to us today, he would encourage us to this kind of boldness. I think he would say that look at his life. I think he would say look at the price that he paid for following Jesus and proclaiming his name with boldness. And I think that he would say without blinking, it was worth it 100%. I would do it again. That is Paul's perspective. From Paul's perspective, any suffering associated with following Jesus, any suffering we experience for aligning ourselves with Jesus is worth it. And that kind of perspective doesn't just happen overnight. It takes a change in priorities. And that's what we see. We see that Paul had a very different set of priorities than we do. So we saw his perspective. Let's look at his priorities. We're going to see that in verses 15 through 18. 
says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, what Paul is saying is that the people who are preaching the gospel more boldly, they fall into two camps. The first group, they're preaching the gospel out of love. They love Jesus. They love their neighbors. This is classic Great Commission Christian stuff. But the second group is a rotten bunch. This group is somehow preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. Now, we've got some ideas of what that means, but it's not exactly clear. But the point is that they're doing it to hurt Paul. They're doing it out of envy of Paul and in order to make him suffer more. In other words, what they're doing is they're preaching the gospel from a bad heart. Somehow they're weaponizing the truth of the gospel to hurt Paul. And how does he respond? He says, wonderful. And again, I have to ask, Paul, are you sure about that? I mean, you said yourself, these people are out there preaching the gospel for some really awful reasons. Are you sure that you're okay with this? Are you sure that you're happy that they're doing it? I think the truth is that I think that because I have a different set of priorities than Paul does. See, when I hear the stories of people who preach the gospel for terrible reasons, I only feel anger. You know, I don't know if you listened to it yet, but there's a podcast that's come out not long ago, just finished up, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it follows the story of Mars Hill Church. It's this church in Seattle, Washington, uh, from about 96 to 2014. And it really centers around the main, the lead pastor, Mark Driscoll. And Mark Driscoll was a rough character from the start, to, to say the least, a rough character. But he preached the gospel, more or less. And most of the time, it was a, it was a fairly faithful representation of the gospel. It was a, a rough presentation of the gospel, but it still was. And over time, what they see is that church, it grew and it grew and it grew to thousands and then ten thousands. And all the while, things kind of start to fall apart in the center. And so I won't go into too much of it. Uh, if you want to know what happened, you should listen to the podcast. But I want to warn you, it's, it's a very difficult story to hear. It's a very painful story to hear. So it's a painful story because by the end of it, what we see is that, man, at the center of all of this pain of this collapsing church is this pastor, Mark Driscoll. <coughs> and even though he was preaching the gospel, it seems very clear that he was not doing it for the right reasons. There's a, there's a classic line from one of his sermons where he shouts, how dare you? Who do you think you are? 
And man, when a lot of us listen to this podcast, the story about how he used the gospel like a weapon to hurt people, man, I found myself shouting, how dare you, Mark Driscoll? Who do you think you are? But after reading this passage from Philippians today, I'm becoming more and more convinced that Paul would have a different perspective on this. I think he'd say, that's fine. And why, Paul? Why? <laughs> it's because Paul had a different set of priorities. Paul was focused first and foremost on the preaching of the gospel. And see, Paul knew that messed up people were going to come along and preach the gospel. How did he know that? Because he preached the gospel. He was a messed up person. I preach the gospel. I'm a messed up person. And he also knew that judgment was coming for those who would use the gospel for selfish reasons and selfish gain for hurting other people. See, it's not, it was not alarming to Paul because he knew that sooner or later this would happen. And he knew that God doesn't just stand idly by while people weaponize his truth. But more than that, Paul knew better than anyone that as long as someone was proclaiming the gospel, that God would use it for good. See, that's what he says here in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. See, for Paul, his number one priority on earth is that the gospel is proclaimed. <coughs> he rejoices. Whether people do it to hurt him, whether they do it out of love. For him, his priority is the preaching of the gospel. Paul is more concerned about Jesus' name being proclaimed than whatever happened to him. And man, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I could say that about myself. I wish I could stand here and say to you, yep, just like Paul, my biggest priority, proclamation of the gospel. But that would not be true. I wish I could tell you that it doesn't get to me when people do things out of spite to me. I wish I could tell you that I don't get jealous of other people. I wish I could tell you that I don't care about success. I, I wish I could tell you that I cared more about the proclamation of the gospel than the recognition of me. And I know that sounds petty, and it is. I know it sounds childish, and it is. It's true, though, because I don't have the same priorities that Paul did. Man, if I did, I, I wouldn't struggle so much with looking for approval over looking for God to be glorified. And the truth is that I need a priority change. I need a perspective shift. 
I need what Paul had. And where did Paul get this perspective? Where did Paul get these priorities? Where does Paul get the power to just pursue Jesus' name with his whole life? And of course, the answer is that he gets it from the gospel itself. Friends, what we have to see today is that Paul understood the gospel on a level that transformed him. And that we have to start to think about how we can be transformed by it too. So as we start to think about uh, a response time, I want us to consider the gospel. What I want us to see is that Paul understood three things about the gospel that shaped this situation. Three things that we need to grasp and internalize ourselves. First, he understood that because of the gospel, we live in light of eternity now. See, Paul knew that the worst thing that could happen to him was to be killed. But that ultimately, that doesn't even stop him. How does he know that? Because Jesus was arrested and crucified. Even though he was innocent, he was put on a fake trial, a sham trial, found guilty, and publicly executed. And we know from the story of the gospel that it doesn't end there. That he doesn't just end on the cross. That he rose from the grave. And that when he rose from the grave, he defeated death. And not only that, that he promised to all of his followers that one day he would come back and that we would rise from the grave too. See, Jesus shows us that death is not the end of the Christian story. That the grave couldn't stop him and that death has been defeated on the cross. And so the grave won't stop us either. So we can have confidence that Jesus knows our sufferings. Man, he knows what it's like to be hurt, to be rejected. He knows what it's like to suffer unjustly. He knows what it's like to be executed. And ultimately, he promised us all that those things do not have the last word, but that he does. And the second thing that Paul saw is that this hope for new life is not just in the future. That this hope for new life matters now. Paul knew that because Jesus died on the cross for us, and that because our sins are forgiven, that we can have a right relationship with God now. See, what in the world could possibly change and transform someone like having a relationship with their creator, the God of the universe? Paul knew that when people encounter the gospel, lives change. The Lord starts to repair relationships. He starts to heal hearts and minds. He starts to change people so that they no longer weaponize truth, weaponize the gospel, and instead speak the truth in love. We have to remember that the gospel is good news, not just because one day we'll rise from the grave. 
It's good news because right now, Jesus is alive and he wants us to be transformed by his spirit. So I think this is something that we can really easily miss. It's really easy to read this passage and say, you know, Paul rejoiced because he was in prison, so we have to just grin and bear it when we suffer. No, Paul is saying that because of his changed perspective and priorities, because of the power of the gospel, he is experiencing his best life now. You know, that's a cheesy phrase. We hear it thrown around. But Paul is saying that he is experiencing a joy like he's never experienced before because of Jesus, regardless of his circumstances. And finally, Paul saw the gospel as the ultimate victory. See, by all accounts, the story of the gospel up until a certain point feels like a loss, right? It looks like defeat. You know, like I said, Jesus is arrested for crimes he didn't commit. He's tried, found guilty, though he's innocent, and he's publicly executed. And if the story ended right there, Man, that's a tragic story. But it doesn't end right there. No, the gospel goes on to tell us that Jesus rose from the dead and that he defeated sin and death. So the picture is that Jesus went to war with sin and death and he won. And we get to celebrate in that victory with him. See, why can Paul be so confident when he is sitting in prison? It's because he knows he's already won. <clears throat> why is Paul so excited that other people are getting bold and starting to proclaim the gospel too? Because, man, they've caught the vision too. They know that they've won. And why in the world doesn't it upset Paul that people are proclaiming the gospel just to get at him? Because what could they possibly do to stop him now. Jesus has already won. Jesus has already secured the victory. Those guys out there proclaiming the gospel for wrong reasons, they don't stand a chance. The enemies of God don't stand a chance. So Redeemer Church, what I want to challenge us with today is this. Paul's perspective and his priorities are a good thing for us to have. If nothing else, let's see that Paul is experiencing true joy and true peace and true love despite his circumstances. Sitting in a jail cell, he's experiencing this real joy. And it's because of his perspective and his priorities. And he has these because he understands the power of the gospel. So the question that we have to ask ourselves today is do we understand the power of the gospel? Let's pray. Lord, I just recognize that I... I don't always understand the power of the gospel. Lord, I, I just pray that you would open 
my ears and my eyes and my heart to understand the power of the gospel, Lord. And I pray that for all of us today. I pray as we leave here, we could be transformed by the gospel, by, by your spirit in a new way, Lord, that we could look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and be encouraged to greater boldness, that we could have transformation in our lives right now. Lord, as we look out on the world and we see just the brokenness and the evil and the suffering, Lord, we thank you that you have secured the victory already. And Lord, as we just await that day when we will see the victory face to face, pray that you'd give us peace in the meantime. We pray, Lord, that uh, rather we trust that you still move now. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.